On this week's episode of Empower, I'm joined by two young professionals. We discuss the sobering reality of the passing of Ahmaud Arbery, the details of his case, and begin to discuss ultimately how we find a solution. Empower is a podcast presented by the Houston Area Urban League that serves to inform young professionals about the Urban League, its programs, and the various civic and social topics pertinent to the community they serve. Welcome back to Empower. This is Ray Shackleford, your host. This is presented each and every week by the Houston Area Urban League. And today I'm very excited in terms of the two people that have joined me. Uh, two prominent young professionals, two members of our Houston area Urban League Young Professionals Auxiliary. I'm joined by Ms. Victoria Hart. She is the vice president of this organization. And Mr. Quentin Giles, who is an active and paid member. We want to stress that this brother has a lot of good work within the organization. And he is also a commentator for Great Day Washington. And so first and foremost, we will start with Miss Hart, ladies first. Uh, please tell us about how you came to know the Urban League. Well, I posted on my Facebook that I wanted to do something in Houston, but I wanted to do community outreach amongst my peers. And a good friend of mine, my friend Kristen Krapp, uh, she suggested the Houston Area Urban League Young Professionals. Uh, I joined. Uh, thereafter, and I have been an active member ever since, and now I'm currently vice president. Okay, okay. Uh, Quentin, how about yourself? Because if if I recall correctly, you you're still fairly new to the family, but you hit the ground running ever since you uh, came in the door. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had just uh, moved back to Houston in October of 2019, and um, for me, I was actually just looking for, if I'm to be honest, to be around a group of people who have something to lose. Um, because I feel like there's an accountability factor there, and so I was actually going to go to a Houston Area Urban League entrepreneurial event, um, but I missed it. And then I, I end up, you know, finding the Instagram page and just kind of came to some of the events. Um, actually, I think I joined on the first event or the, the first or second event. And um, ever since then, I've just kind of been in the thick of it with you guys. Um, I love it. I love the community engagement and activism. Um, I just love the social aspect again, because I want to be around people who have stuff to lose. So we're, we're all on a level playing field, if you will. Um, and yeah, and just uh, um, to be honest, again, I just wanted to be around some good old black folks. So <laughs> well, the Urban League is definitely one place where you can find that. Um, and I guess, Victoria, real quick for you, why did you decide to step up and lead? I know for me, at least initially, it was because I was trying to grow and, you know, build up a skill set. And, you know, it's just kind of snowballed from there. I definitely never had aspirations of being national president. Um, and I'm sure for you it's something similar in terms of you may not have pegged and said, I want to be vice president, but why have you stuck around and why have you saw fit to take on a leadership role? So I'll, I'll say my story is probably the same as yours. I did not, <laughs> repeat, not want to step into that role at all. And I had a conversation with our current president, uh, Dion Dorsey, and he just let me know all of the confidence that he had in me and everything that I had done the year 
prior as secretary, he was just like, you have to step it up. You have to grow. And how else can you do that but to take on more, um, more of a leader um, position? And so reluctantly, I took it, but I before then, I prayed about it, and, I, and he'll even tell you, I cried the day that I told him that I was going to take the position. I was like, hey, look, brother, you and I, we're good friends, and and thank you for believing in me, and, you know, and I'll, I'll go ahead and take this position, and I took it, and um, I, lo- I love what I do for this organization, and um, I, I'm just so grateful to even have this opportunity to be in this position to to help people grow, and um, you said, Quinn, like people that just come in and they're like, they want to be around like-minded people, but then also people that have different opinions, and and how can we fuse all of that together to have a bomb uh, organization, and that's what we do on a day-to-day basis, so, yep, that's me. Well, we are definitely glad that you decided to step up and take on that role. And uh, I will say that I feel like you have been doing a phenomenal job in the vice president capacity. Thank you. Thank you. And so, you know, while I'm absolutely excited uh, in terms of the two guests that we have today, we do have a much more serious tone in terms of the conversation and the content of what we're discussing today. Um, And if you go back to February 23rd, I believe, of this year, there was a young man named Ahmaud Arbery who was out jogging and three white men, uh, specifically a father and a son, uh, decided to, as they described it, they thought they were um, acting on a statute in terms of a citizen's arrest capacity, um, or that's the the cloak or the veil that they tried to put their actions under, I should better say. Um, And ultimately, in that interaction, um, they took the life of Ahmaud Arbery and uh, killed this young brother in cold blood. And fast forward to uh, this week and the last two weeks, we have just really been made aware of it. Uh, because it was something that initially they tried to conceal. Um, and we'll get more into some of those details. I know Quentin uh, is chomping at the bit to kind of discuss some of the things that, that took place as it relates to that. Um, and, and even yesterday, which would have been his 26th birthday, um, you had marches, you had walks, runs all over this country, uh, 2.23 miles specifically to recognize the two, the February 23rd, the actual day that the incident took place. And so um, with that, I want to get both of your initial thoughts about it and how you came to know about the story of uh, Ahmaud Arbery. Quinn, you can go first. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, Yeah, so I actually, I knew about the story before it went viral. Um, so, you know, I keep, I keep up to date on, on, on these types of things. And so I saw the video a couple of days before it really peaked and you had everyone posting about it. And if I'm to be quite honest, um, I had to do a self-reflection on it. I was numb. And when I say numb was that when I first saw it, my first reaction was another one. And I kept scrolling. 
And I didn't realize how desensitized I had become to seeing black bodies be murdered in the street. I didn't realize that until even after a couple of days after it went viral and everybody was in, in an uproar and rightfully so, it still didn't hit me that I am desensitized to what I'm seeing. And I don't know that, um, that with this video being shown, I kind of view it as like a double-edged sword. On one end, you know, we need to see these things because obviously people will try to conceal them. But on the other end, we are almost re-victimized seeing it over and over and over again. And so I'm, I'm processing that, just that I've allowed myself to become desensitized to almost somewhere in me accept that that is just what is to happen. Um, so I'm a little upset about it. I'm a little upset at myself. I'm hurt. Um, for his mother. I'm hurt that his his life is lost. He's 26. I'm 31. I, I've, I've lived so much life between 26 and 31 that this young man will never be able to see. Um, I'm hurt that there is so much hatred in people's hearts that uh, they could use this cloak of a citizen's arrest um, to try to stop something or to try to get in the way of a, a potential robbery or potential crime when the, the natural reaction would be to call 911. But for someone to have so much boldness within themselves, maybe cloaked in privilege, to go and stop someone and take their life. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm hurt. Um, and I'm, I'm more confused at, at my own actions and being desensitized to it. Well, my reaction, I, so Quinn, you knew about it probably weeks before. I just found out about it. Uh, last week when they released the video and and I was extremely emotional watching the video. I know some people didn't want to watch the well, didn't want to watch the video but I watched it and just to see a young man uh, struggling uh, to try to prevent himself from being shot was just so just heart wrenching and I just I couldn't help but like in that moment I, I actually cried because I just couldn't imagine what was going on in his mind and his head in that very moment to know that he's jogging in his own neighborhood, you know, just something that he probably does on a regular basis. And then for someone to just stop him with a, with a rifle, a shotgun, and, and then his life is just lost. I was so emotional. And uh, I think partially because I have a son. Uh, my son is 11. And it, how do you have those conversations with your children? How do you... Do you do you tell them like, hey, you know, when you're walking down your in, down the street in your neighborhood, you need to kind of be mindful of who's who's over here and how you have your hands in your in your pockets and don't have this hoodie on and all that stuff. And it's like, why do we have to have these conversations with our children? It's like your neighborhood, your community should be a safe zone. And and it wasn't for him, unfortunately. Yeah, and you know. Quinn, you, you brought an interesting point when you said how much life you lived from the age of 26 to now 31. And for me, I'll be 34 in June. Um, and to your point, like I've experienced a lot from that stage to now, and I've grown tremendously. Um, and so to have this young brother's life taken like that for something and you and I were just talking about earlier working out like mm -hmm. um yep. now me me personally I'm not an avid runner 
Um, I do periodically, but mm. um, my brother, he recently, you know, has downloaded this Nike app. He's been on this cardio kick. He goes running all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when, when I look at it through that lens, it's just like, if something like that were to take place, and I think similar to you, Quentin, my initial reaction was like, okay, it's another one. And I didn't want to see the video initially because I think back to Philando Castile. Yep. He got shot and murdered in a car with his girlfriend and his child mm -hmm. for following the officer's instructions yeah. and was murdered in cold blood. That was a very traumatic experience for me. I know I was crying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's... And then the piece that Victoria just mentioned as it relates to young people, and I know growing up, and Quentin, me and you are both, you know, big black guys. Yeah. My father told me when you interact with police, this is how you're supposed to act, do this, do that, you know, and because the goal was for you to make it safe, safely home. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling me in the middle of the day, we now have to start talking to our kids about going out and jogging mm -hmm. and it, it's really just mind-blowing um and so one of the things that recently and each day we get more and more information has been brought to light as we peel back the layers is the fact that not only did these men kill this brother in cold blood uh, mm -hmm. because like like we talked about initially they said there was uh, allegedly he was a, a robbery or matched the description of a robbery suspect. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And so one of the guys, the father, I believe, is an ex-police officer. Mm -hmm. He had a relationship with the district attorney that was in their um, locality as well mm -hmm. as the, the neighboring locality. And so, but I think just today or yesterday I saw that the commissioners within their um, town or what have you actually wanted to move forward charges, but the district attorney said no right. because of that relationship. And so you basically have law enforcement elected officials that were complicit in yeah. trying to cover this up. Mm -hmm. And even when I just referenced Philando Castile, I, I guess for me, I'm trying to understand an entity that at least is presented as one that is there to protect and serve. What are each of your thoughts as it relates to, you know, how do we try to navigate those relationships? And, and you know, obviously we always have the conversation, all cops are not bad. Nobody's trying to say that. Just like all black people are not, you know, robbery suspects. <laughs> right. Um, but nonetheless, there's clearly something that is not hitting home time and time again when it comes to law enforcement and then we'll you know go back to just white privilege in general but um i did want to touch on that real quick what are, are each of your thoughts as it relates to that well they have I just, to be held accountable. oh go ahead go ahead no no please go ahead they have to be held accountable um, the district attorney, um, just everyone involved, they have to be held accountable for this young man to have died February 23rd, and they knew exactly who killed him, and they just made arrests on the 7th of May, 
is ridiculous. It is, it, when people those when we have these these signs up and we're saying that Black Lives Matter, it's because at the end of the day, like for you to sit here and say that we're gonna take a whole like two and a half months to make an arrest, and that's just because of the outrage of the outpour of the community. I really don't feel like if, if that video had to probably still be in there eating, eating and drinking. And, and now it's like, now that we're demanding for them to be charged and now they're being charged, it's like our lives have to, we have, they just have to show that our lives matter at the end of the day. And I feel like whatever the, the district attorney and whoever else was involved, did they showed, they showed us that they didn't think that Ahmad Arbery's life mattered. Absolutely, um, I would I would agree with that. All of them need to be held um, accountable, and I I feel as though I look at. I'm, I'm glad you prefaced that you said you know not all cops are bad cops, and I would I would concur with that. But when we look at the the history of policing, and when we look at the black body going from being a slave to a free man and then laws being put in place to really just transition the form of slavery into incarceration i look at it from a lens of this is what you were bred for this it was a breeding ground for these types of injustices to happen and so i i'm i'm kind of a, a all hands in a sledgehammer i think the whole system needs to be rebuilt because we systematically have these laws that are put on the books to disadvantage, to disadvantage um, and attack black people, black and brown people. Let's, let's put it like that and not people of color because that's too broad, black and brown people. And so when we, when we operate in this space of not even valuing a black body and seeing it as a human and seeing it as three-fifths of a person still today, we continue to end up with this type of behavior. And when we look at the, the ex-cop and his son, well, all three of them, even the guy that took the video, um, I say cloaked in privilege because the story goes that, you know, he, he looked like a robbery suspect. The man was entering into a built a house that was under construction. So what exactly was he burglarizing if a house is being built? And then if you thought that was him, when you relook at the video, I looked at it again today, they trapped him. Like they right. tracked him, they pulled the first pickup truck pulled ahead of him. You see him running towards the truck, and then you see the scuffle and the shot, and and you know uh, him ultimately being murdered in the street. So, I have a real hard time, honestly. I have a real hard time with reckoning that not all police are bad, knowing that they're not. But when the police that are good don't stand up and call out the ones that are bad, they are just as culpable, and then they are owed that stereotype that police are bad. Because as a Black person who, let's say, doesn't break the law, I have to constantly defend my people and say, not all of us are like that. We all don't rob. We all don't steal. You know, we all don't gang bang. Why is that onus put on me, but that onus is not put on the blue lives that matter? So that's how I feel. <laughs> you know what wow. you? I'm sorry, Victoria. Go ahead. I just, I just said, wow, <laughs> wow, yeah. So many, so many gems in that area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it was definitely a lot to digest, and you, you took the, the words out of my mind as it relates to the three fifths of a person, which is how we were initially 
written into our country's constitution and people still treat us just like that. Like we're less than a person and we see it time and time again. And so the law enforcement component is definitely part of it. And like you mentioned, the way that it transitioned from slavery, because initially police, especially in the South, were used to help round up slaves. Um, and so when you look at over the years, how that's progressed, and then we went from, what was it, the um, broken window model of policing, and then you have now this militarized model of policing, um, which we tried to get away from at least to an extent uh, under our previous president, uh, President Obama. He tried to start to roll back some of those things, and now with the new administration, you see those things going right back in place. Um, and so there's clearly a lot of work that needs to be done as it relates to police. And I think, Quinn, your point applies not only to officers, but to people in general that are quiet. Yeah. I saw somebody make a comment about uh, people making all these TikTok videos, but now when it comes to this young brother's life, and don't, and don't tell us that you didn't see, because when it's yeah. a trending topic, it's coming across your timeline. Mm -hmm. If you didn't know about it before this week, you know about it now. Mm -hmm. um, and so that has definitely made me kind of, you know, take take a step back and just kind of look at the landscape because, you know, I have friends of all backgrounds, um, but it's it's very curious when they don't step up and speak out as it relates to, you know, our issues. Um, yeah. But they're always looking for us to, you know, share the burden as it relates to something else. So, yeah. And I we guess, do it. Even, I'm sorry, even before they ask us, Black people are always the one to show up for the disadvantaged. We always are on the front lines for the LGBTQ community. We're on the front lines when Muslim bans hit. We're on the front lines when y'all want to be racist against Asian Americans and coronavirus. We are always willing to put our bodies on the line because we historically know what the oppression feels like. And I don't know what it is. It must be the magic in Black folks that we just don't want anybody else to feel that. But when it's our time, y'all ghost. And yeah. I just, I don't get that. I don't get that. I'm in 100% with Rihanna. Tell your friends to pull up. All these allies, you are ally. But when, when, when does that stop? When do you hit your limit? It, and it seems to be when it's a Black body when it is only a black body, that is when you hit your limit of being an ally. Yeah, and I know for me, I'm gonna start putting that to the test, especially, um, and as, you know, as we get into the conversation, we're gonna start to talk about, you know, potentially, you know, how do we resolve some of these things? But that's something I'm definitely gonna put to the test because as we look to you know, change the system that's in place that's clearly not working, who's going to actually step up and be there with us side by side, like we have been, as you mentioned, time and time again, uh, when it comes to these different issues. Now, one thing we did touch on um, was, you know, young people, obviously, Victoria, you have a son, um, Quinn and I growing up as young black men, and before we touch on that, Victoria, you were actually at the walk yesterday that uh, we did in conjunction with the NAACP 
and other community partners. Can you kind of just um, tell us, you know, what that experience was like, what the energy was like, um, how people were feeling, if there was anything that people expressed? Or... I think a lot of people were just, um, just humbled to be there in solidarity. Um, I think none of us really wanted to be there in the midst of someone being, another, yet another person uh, being shot and killed. But I think just the overall uh, feel was just, was just community. Um, there were people that weren't, there were just black people there. There were, there were Caucasian, uh, Asian, uh, Middle Eastern people there, you know, basically championing uh, our lives matter. And so we walked from the NAACP building off of Wheeler to the Buffalo Soldier Museum to HMAC, and then we came back uh, to the NAACP building. Uh, but, you know, we were singing songs and, and, and chanting and just making our voices known. Um, I brought my son with me. Um, so when I had a conversation with him about uh, Ahmad's death, it was to me, like I said, it was a hard conversation for me to have with him. Um, but then when I told him why we were doing the walk, um, I just had to let him know that there are times where there are going to be people that may not have a voice. But if you have a voice, then you need to be able to speak up for those that don't have a voice. Right now, Ahmad Arbery does not have a but we have to be able to speak up for him in any type of way. And so across the country, like you said, people were running the 2.23 miles and we walked the 2.23 miles uh, to show, to raise our voices to say that this has to stop. So I, I, I appreciated everyone that actually came out because I know that it was something that they did um, uh, within a you know, last minute, um, but the efforts were just, were just tremendous. The love and the, like I said, the solidarity that was there was just amazing. And Quentin, I, I didn't ask you, but did you get a chance to participate in any of those things? I, I didn't think you were at the walk, but I didn't know if you participated in any of those. Um, yeah, so I, I participated, but I did um, solo. I went to the park and did it myself. Um, so, you know, we're in the midst of COVID-19 and I have people with um, underlying conditions in my home. So I'm doing as much physical distancing as possible. So I did it one deep. No, and we definitely want to continue to stress yep. that, that we are in the middle of a pandemic and we want people to practice uh, safety. I know Victoria and a lot of people had on masks, mm -hmm. um, people had on gloves, etc. And so for those that are out there listening, please continue to follow the advice yep. of public health officials. Um, and take care of yourself and your loved ones. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, we as a community are still processing this. You know, people are grieving. Uh, people are trying to vent through different mediums like marches, like walks. And we've seen those things historically. Um, and it's, it's symbolic in nature and it's significant. But I guess for me, the question that I grapple with and I struggle with, because I, I wasn't actually able to attend the walk um, or the march itself, I did, similar to Quentin, go out on my own and do something uh, in respect of Ahmad and a, and a life that was lost. But for me, it's, it's, it's what's next. Like, how do we start to, to try to remedy this? Um, 
I think when you alluded to it, it when you look at our criminal justice system as a whole, um, there's clearly some work that needs to be done, but there's also an element of white privilege when you talk about the audacity of someone to take that type of action into their own hands. Because even if I thought somebody was breaking into a house, like if I walked out here right now and I saw a white man and I thought he was breaking into a house, I'm not about to go get my gun and chase him down, block him in and take matters into my own hand. Yeah, I'm gonna call the police that mm -hmm. I'm not that's not what we're here to do. And so I think there's a disconnect as it relates to that. But even when you look at, what was it, Cookout Betty, you know, calling the police about mm -hmm. brothers, you know, cooking and then- um, In a public park. In a public, a public park. park uh, somebody was in Starbucks and they called the police. So it's, there's so many different examples when you talk about the white privilege element. Um, and so I guess the question is, and if either of you guys have even, you know, started to think about it, like how do we start to get to a resolution? Um, because clearly what, what's taking place right now is not working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we talk about a resolution for white people, I'm, to me that ends and begins with white people. Like you, these allies that say they want to stand hand in hand with us, you see what's going on. And so it is incumbent upon you who also benefits from this uh, way of society to tear that down so that we all have an equal playing field. Um, and I think that's where the hard part is because one, anybody in power, or if we just take race away, anybody in power is not going to willingly give it up. So that's one. So it is going to have to come from their own. We can yell Black Lives Matter all day, and they do. We can do the groundwork. We can push for policy and laws, but it is gonna, it is incumbent upon the people that benefit from that structure to tear it down to make sure that we all have equality and equity. Um, so I would, I would, I would put it back on my white allies or my my allies that are in positions of power to be able to tear it down. And I would agree with you. Oh, I'm sorry. One more point. I would agree with you. And if I walk outside, the, the reason I said like it's so them chasing him down was so close and so much privilege. Nobody in no, I'm gonna say nobody in their right mind is going to go out there and try to round them up cowboys and take down the burglar from next door. Like that is just not happening. And so I don't know if he had some type of mental break where he thought he was still active law enforcement. Um, and he wanted to go out and relive the good old days, um, or if he is just so saturated in so much privilege that he knew he was empowered to do it. He didn't think twice about it. None of them thought twice about what they were going to do. I don't know if they had the intent on killing him when they went out, but they killed him at the end. And so I, I just view it as so much, so much privilege and so much just prestige that this society has given not all white men, but white men, to be able to act in such a manner when most of us with common sense are not going to go do that. I ain't never made no citizens arrest. I've never even heard anybody trying to make a citizens arrest. Like, so I, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted at the privilege and at the, at the, the defense that they initially gave. Well, I was gonna say that um, every time I hear people say that you know when there's when they're talking about voting and how their vote doesn't matter when you talk about um, a district attorney which is an elected position somebody elected her 
and mm-hmm. I don't know what her background is. I don't know what the demographic of Brunswick, Georgia is, but our votes, especially when it comes down to the local elections, our votes are so imperative. And I and I, I preach this all the time, and I'll, I'll be honest, I go into the barbershop with my son, and I talk to people about the importance, especially, you know, kind of leading up to election time, talking about the importance of voting. And then people are like, oh, you know, if it comes down to, you know, one vote, then I'd say it matters. But no, it, it matters because these people are elected to, to represent you. And if you have someone that does not represent you, your, your, your community, you as a race, then you're doing yourself a disservice of people that actually fought for you to be able to vote. Mm-hmm. So I, I honestly feel that it, it comes down to like putting putting your your money where your mouth is at these election polls, especially yeah. like I said for these elected uh, elected positions for sure. And I'm glad you brought that up, the piece about the voting, because I actually one of my friends, she's an attorney in Atlanta, and she reached out to me and. The district attorney uh, you're referencing, her name is Jackie Johnson. She's mm-hmm. actually on the ballot, um, but she's unopposed. And so no one opted to run against her. Mm-hmm. And so this this woman is going to continue to serve in this capacity. And I don't think people, especially in our community, really understand the power of the district attorney's seat. And they basically determine what cases they will and will not prosecute. Mm-hmm. And so they were brought this, they saw, I'm sure they saw the footage. They knew that they killed this man and they knew that they were friends with this guy who's an ex-police officer. And they intentionally opted not to move forward with some type of prosecution with an arrest. These men were free from yeah. February 23rd to, were they arrested, what was it, May 7th? May 7th. May 7th. Um, that is mind boggling to me because I'm pretty sure if any of us right here were accused of shooting somebody and there was any type of footage, even if there wasn't footage, we would definitely be arrested uh, and prosecuted and booked that day. Mm -hmm. So I I want people to definitely take heed to what Victoria said as it relates to Mm -hmm. elections we have primaries that are still taking place all over this country. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a presidential election coming up, but there's also a lot of other things that are on the ballot. And so when we always try to stress the importance of voting, mm-hmm. and I even think back to the campaign of Diddy, um, I can't remember if we went college or high school. Uh, college. But, okay, college. Vote or die. And yeah. it's, it's literally, that is what's happening. And I know people are frustrated because they don't always see the change that they mm-hmm. want to see when they do vote. And I think that's partially because we have to do a better job of educating one another on the processes and how we hold elected officials accountable, which part of that is through the vote. Mm-hmm. But that's also, I think, because we don't understand the negative impact not just what we need to see transform but if we don't vote these are the types of things that can happen you get people like this in office who are taking care of their buddies you know doing backroom deals um and just not putting value on black lives and so um clearly we have a lot of work to do this is just the beginning of the conversation 
Um, I know that this is something I will be continuing to try to work on uh, as we look at the legal team with Lee Merritt um, and those other attorneys that are working to uh, bring some type of justice to this young brother's family. Um, and so for those of you that are listening, if you have thoughts and ideas in terms of how we need to work through this, if you are one of our allies and you want to help, we definitely want to work with you. Uh, we don't want you guys to, you know, retreat, but there's a, a certain level of accountability that has to be had. And so uh, for those that, you know, subscribe to being on our side or just, you know, on the side of humanity, quite honestly, yeah. uh, we look forward to working with you um, and making a positive impact that we look to work through this as a community and as a country. Um, and I did want to give you both the opportunity. I don't know if you had any closing thoughts on Ahmad Arbery. Like I said, this won't be the last time we discuss him, um, but I did want to uh, transition to one more thing briefly before we close out. Um, I would just say, you know, on, on Ahmad, like, it's, it's shameful that it's another one. It's just shameful that um, it's another one. And I think about, you know, his mom who had him on Mother's Day. So not only, you know, do we have to, does she have to reckon with everyone celebrating their mothers, but she has to reckon with her son being stolen from her. So my heart goes out to them. I'm definitely praying for them. Um, and uh, yeah, just want to do the work um, about not being desensitized to something like this. No, that's a great point. I, um, I, I will say that it, it definitely doesn't stop here because, of course, we have to wait for a grand jury to see whether or not they're going to bring charges against these men. That's because we know now that there's a third person that was involved, the person that actually taped it. I don't know if he's going to be charged. Um, I don't know if we're going to get the charge that, uh, that we would hope for. Um, so it's, it's, it's time for us to continue to, um, to push this and to raise our voices so that we're heard. So, like I said, that his, his life is not in vain. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And one thing that is currently taking place where people can make a difference and an impact now, in addition to, you know, the upcoming election cycles is the census. And so. I did want to get both of your thoughts on the census. I know both of you have already completed the census, uh, yes. but if you would briefly tell our listeners why uh, you felt it was important to do it and why they should take time to complete it as well. Okay. Um, I've, I've already completed the census and I honestly, um, my first year, um, doing it I guess on my own um I, no, no I'm sorry this is second the second time so I did in 2010 but um but I didn't really know the importance of it you know I just I just did it and um I think uh, so kudos to you Ray because you definitely taught us a lot um when we started doing the canvassing at the beginning of our term that like the, the, the dollars that are lost when people are not participating, people are not filling out the census, um, we're not when we're not count we're not making every person count, we lose the funding for our parks, for our 
school for our roads. And that's that's why it's so important for everyone to be counted. Um, I think a, there is a fear, especially in the state of Texas and Houston, of course, we're the most diverse city in the nation. And then there's just the fear of people that are not citizens uh, filling out their census and and something happening uh, to them. And you know, we have to let people know that you know this is not we're not. And I would, um, so I would, I'm, I'm the same way. This year is my first year that I actually did the census um, on my own. Um, and for me, the, the not, on, not only was the money to the communities um, and essential services was a, a sticking point for me, what I realized was it was another way um, for us to get more representation because our census also factors in the number of seats we have uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. And so as a community grows, you need more representation for that community. And so the count also plays into how many of those people are there, which also then gives us another opportunity to vote for the people that we know will work for us. So that's what really ignited me um, um, to make sure that I filled out the census and to make sure that like everybody else knew it as well. Um, and of course, the billions of dollars that are uh, that are allocated by this census. So it is super important. It's the work that we have to do. Um, it's just the work that we have to do. Like Ray, you said earlier, like the the marches are symbolic. Those things are are great for a communal um, lament, if you will. Um, but we we have to do the work. And so one of the smallest and easiest things for people to do is either is both be counted in the census and then vote. That's just the easiest form of work we can all do. No, uh, absolutely. And for those that have not completed the census, and hopefully you feel now inspired and motivated to do so, we want you to go to my2020census.gov to complete that. It is, what, nine questions. It's mm -hmm. very, very quick. It took me, I want to say, literally four minutes. That's no exaggeration. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the first time in history, you have the ability to do it online via that link. You can do it by phone. Uh, you can send your form back in through mail. And if not, you have the ability to uh, talk to an enumerator because they will start going out. Uh, the schedule keeps changing because of the pandemic, but I think the last I saw, they're supposed to go out sometime in June or July to start knocking on doors. Uh, and actually the Urban League, along with other community partners here in Houston, we have now been cleared by the Census Bureau to actually call people and help them complete their census if they want our excuse me want our assistance. But please understand if you hear from the Urban League or one of our volunteers that we are not sworn in like the uh, employees of the Census Bureau. So the distinction is if someone from the Census Bureau shares your information, they face jail time. I believe it's up to five years and fines up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Volunteers are not sworn by those same things. So if you need our help, um, we are a trusted community partner. We are offering that up and we will be making those phone calls, uh, starting with the Aldine and Greens Point area uh, and then moving into other areas of the community. Uh, but definitely look out for that. 
And as we close out, one, I want to thank both of you for your time, your energy, um, for your good information that you provided to the listeners. I believe that, not, I believe, I believe and I know that you both are community leaders, thought leaders, uh, and that's why I asked you to join me here today. Uh, Quentin, how can people find more information on you, all that you're doing in the political space, uh, in the media space, and all that good work? Yeah, uh, real easy. Uh, Instagram is probably one of the best ways to just keep up with me or reach out. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Quentin, Q-U-E-N-T-I-N, R as in rabbit, Giles, J-I-L-E-S. So at Quentin R. Giles. And Victoria, is there anything with the young professionals you want to make people aware of um, in the coming weeks? Yes, uh, so we are partnering with our Texas chapters. So the Austin chapter, the Austin YP, and also the Dallas uh, Fort Worth YP. Um, as we navigate um, during this time, we're still trying to provide the content and the information to our uh, our members. And so we're collaborating with the, the two Texas chapters to give um, us more uh, opportunities for that. Um, so we have a series about economic empowerment, uh, business opportunities, uh, just so many things that we have in store. So make sure that you go to our uh, social media, our Facebook, the underscore YP, and then also our website, which is www.hallyp.org. And then we're also partnering with the Shape Community Center essentials uh, for our elderly uh, and the third world community. Uh, so sanitizer, cleaning supplies, food. We want to be able to help those our website to, to make a donation. Absolutely. Uh, again, thank both of you for all of your help, all of the information. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys in person again once they're safe. Um, and, you know, with masks even now, um, I know I have seen Victoria. She actually uh, helped with some stuff for the staff on yesterday. So we appreciate all the stuff that she does in that capacity. Uh, but thank you guys for tuning in each and every week. This is Empower. This is your host, Ray Shackelford. And again, this is presented each and every week by the Houston Area Urban League. To learn more about how the Houston Area Urban League is impacting the community and ways you can get involved, visit us online at haul.org, follow us on Twitter at HOU Urban League, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcasting platform you enjoy. Thanks for listening to Empower, presented by the Houston Area Urban League.